How are you guys doing? Today's episode was sponsored by Raycon. So today is kind of a big day for the entire world as a whole. And I guess that's one way to look at it, at least. Now, today, NATO is beginning its strategic nuclear drills inside of Europe, or on the outer edges of Europe. Like Europe. Europe's pretty vague, I know, but in Europe. Somewhere in Europe, okay? Now, South Korea is also now beginning their exercises alongside the United States today as well. And North Korea is apparently going to be testing nukes today. So, uh, Belarus is also being an idiot. Uh, Iran handed over some kamikaze drones. Uh, and Russia is still a terrorist state. That's pretty much what we're going to be going over real quick in the next, uh, I don't know, what, 15 minutes or so. Oh, and Russia also just accused the U.S. and NATO of not respecting territorial integrity. So that's how we're going to kick this thing off. So it's good. So with regards to the world uh, world war rhetoric that we've we've heard honestly over and over again, I actually spoke about it a few times, uh, separate times here on the, this this channel or whatever you guys live on this podcast platform. And it seems that we are moving closer, and maybe not to like this type of situation entirely, but someone or a sense that like certain countries are just going to be completely shut off from the entire world entirely. So prior to the attacks that happened inside of Kiev just a few hours ago, uh, multiple countries that have actually were advised, and they advised, well, they were advised, then those countries then advised their citizens to leave Ukraine immediately, which more than likely indicates that they are now. Uh, going to be ramping up things here very soon. Now, the countries that were on this list won't shock you. Uh, just they were the ones that were given the notice before the structure actually about to happen. It was China, Serbia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Belarus, and Egypt. Lots of stands in there. So I think I've actually been to, where have I been? I've been to one of those stands. I can't remember which one it was. Uzbekistan? I don't know. It kind of sucked. It was cold. I remember I went in in the urinal. It wasn't a urinal. It was like a hole. It was like a, it was a porta potty type thing. And it was so cold. Like it was like so cold that all the piss on the seat was frozen. Everything was frozen in there. It was miserable. That's how cold it was. It was terrible. Anyway, um, if we're somehow getting to this point where World War Three was a thing, and I do not believe uh, it's going to be, or I do believe it's going to be something like Russia, China, Iran, and some other little countries that are really meaningless, like Belarus. Uh, that would be against the West. Iran is also denying the fact that they actually supplied these kamikaze drones to Russia. So Iran's spokesman, yes, not a spokeswoman because they don't have those in Iran. He actually said that there are, they did not provide these weaponries or they haven't provided any weaponries, excuse me, to any side of the war, which is clearly a lie. Because how in the world would these have gotten into the Russians' hands? We've also seen Iranian drones being used and shot down in the southern portion of Ukraine for a few weeks now. And I forgot I, I forgot to actually mention this. Uh, which some of you may not know this, but Russia actually attacked Kiev with a swarm of Iranian kamikaze drones, which somehow have managed, some have managed, not somehow, some have actually managed to get through the air defense and actually hit the city center. It wasn't a ton of them, but some did get through. From what I do know right now, one civilian has actually been killed in the last 13 hours or so. Uh, you, the Ukrainian army has shot down 37 Iranian, they're called Shahid drones, I believe. Shahid, Shahed. Shahid drones uh, and three cruise missiles. So none of the cruise missiles have been able to hit any targets. They were all shot down, uh, but they did shoot down 37 and some were actually uh, able to get through. And I know Russian propagandists are trying to push this. You guys are going to see them. What look to be like Ukrainian police officer type individuals that are actually inside of Kiev and they're, they're shooting their AKs up at these drones. I mean, they didn't really have anything else and they're flying. I mean, what else are you going to do? I've seen also an image, which is, which is kind of goofy, but it's a, a lady who's walking around and she's claiming that she's ready to take out the drones, but she's holding an AT4. And I don't want to be like the bearer of bad news, but that's not going to work. Just going to throw that out there. You can't use utilize an AT4 against a drone. It has like 
four or five thousand retweets, and I'm thinking to myself, like, there there can't the people in the world really not realize that an AT4 is not utilized to take down a drone. I don't I don't know. It's cool. She's posturing. She's looking awesome, I guess. But probably should save those for tanks and personnel. Anyway, uh, but when you have a country like Iran, which hates the West and America clearly, they're going to be getting involved in this war in in some sort of sense, kind of like we are. Okay. Not on the scale that we are inside of Ukraine, but they are involved indirectly for sure. This is very different than what we have seen in the past, like in the 80s when we were utilized. Basically, America was using uh, Afghanistan to fight against the Russians indirectly. Now we're having like Iran and Russia fighting inside of Ukraine, essentially. Or Let me rephrase this. Russians fighting inside of Ukraine against Ukrainians. America using Ukrainians to fight against the Russians and Iranians using the Russians to fight against so-called Americans, it's, I don't know. We have the people inside of Ukraine, they're getting the blunt of all this, like multiple countries, because Russia wants to take it back and wants to make it there. So it's, it's somewhat irritating for me to, to watch this kind of stuff over and over again happening. It, this is some sort of like, the way I look at it, there's terrorist-type acts being committed by real countries, not just like by ISIS or some random spinoff of some terrorist group. Like, what is a terrorist is a question that shouldn't be asked but in regards to the kind of things that we're seeing being committed, you might have to ask it and what the actual definition of one is. Uh, a person, this is, what, this is what it is. If you were to type this in on Google, this is what's going to pass up. A person who uses unlawful violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of a political gain or political aim. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, what they're doing, it's just, it is what it is. It's terrorism. It is. You, you cannot tell me, you who are watching this, you cannot tell me that you throwing kamikaze drones in the city center of, of, of Kiev is not a terroristic act. They are doing that to instill fear on the civilians. 100%. 100%. What else are they doing it for? So now that we have the Russians doing this, um, and they're using Iranian weapons, trying to instill fear on the civilian population, using these kamikaze drones, they literally want purpose, which is to hit any target they possibly can indiscriminately. You couldn't convince me right now at this point that the Russian government is not a terrorist state. It'd be very difficult for you to try to come on here or in the little comment section down below and try to convince me otherwise. I'd like, I'd like, I, I, you know what? I am going to, I want you guys to. I did post this on my Patreon. I asked them, I said, hey, it'd be very difficult for any of you guys, but please do go, do go, do, please. But so one person did say that the Ukrainians were, or they did use a car bomb inside of Crimea. I am still not 100% convinced that was. I'm not. I haven't, I, I'm not able to share with it because the individual who told me some stuff about it, he asked me not to share for a few days. And it's, it's kind of what I, I told you guys beforehand. What did I say? It seemed like it was something that had exploded above it. Anyway, so then you also have Belarus. I just smashed my iPad there. Getting a little fierce. Then you have Belarus, who's claiming that they're preparing to fight against a terrorist regime. And that is why they're preparing all these troops and all their troops, and they're moving them on the equipment and all over the country. They, we're starting to see these videos that are service of equipment with new tactical markings on the side of them, which could be indication of a new offensive in different parts of the country that, that could be taking place. Some people believe there's a chance they could be trying to take the northern part of Ukraine again and all this kind of stuff. And the Russians are going to be going after Kiev once again. I have a hard time believing this. For one, we're going into the winter months. What happened... Last February, one of the biggest failures we've ever seen in a military exercise, quote-unquote military exercise, where a much larger force attempted to take a smaller force in their own country during a very wet, wet, wet time. What's coming up? It's starting to rain a lot.
Now, the Belarusian Ministry of uh, what was it? The emergency situations has actually now received weapons from the MOD, and they're now using these. Apparently, they're only supposed to be using them and getting them if they believe they're going to have to one deal with an armed conflict, okay, or two mass riots. And I don't think right now they're going to be having mass riot issues. And after I had filmed the episode from the other day, I think it was two days ago, and I put and I put it up, there was an attack that actually happened inside of Belgorod inside of Russia, at a military training ground where at first it came out that two men had actually killed 11 Russians who were training to go fight inside of Ukraine. Now, the number has actually grown to 30 Russian soldiers were actually killed, and this was carried out by three individuals, and two of those individuals were actually killed were from the old U.S., like an old part of Russia. Like, they weren't really part of... It's it's kind of interesting the way it works. Russia as a whole is... uh, I don't know. They have so many different, I guess, way ethnic groups. Okay, and these men, and one of them got a the the one that actually survived got away. He was shot in the shoulder, I guess. But they were part of the ones that actually are called up to fight in Ukraine. Now it seemed like they didn't have an issue uh, with the fact that they were being allowed to to fight or they were trying to train to fight. It was the fact that they weren't allowed to pray during certain times of the day. So. This is why one of the shootings have actually taken place, and I guess it happened an hour, hour and a half after an altercation actually took place, and they went to the shooting range, and I only brought up the the, the fact that they have so many different ethnic groups is because I can't remember exactly which religion this, these people were. Oh, they were Tajiks? Okay. So, so with that being said, so my, my camera guy, thanks for, thanks for telling me. So Tajiks, but how many, there was a couple other ethnic groups that were there but they were all Muslim, correct? No, I'm saying that, so, okay. Yes, so, okay, but what I'm saying is, so the Tajiks, those ones, they were Muslim. They weren't allowed to pray. That, I remember when I was in Iraq, and I think I'd pray a certain amount of times during the day. I think it was like facing west or whatnot. It doesn't really matter. But they told the other Muslim groups inside of that camp to not show up to the training grounds because they already pre-planned this attack. So there you go. I said that's what I was trying to get at. They have so many different ethnic groups inside of Russia uh, I guess this whole thing, this whole mobilization is a freak. It's a mess for them, which we're going to talk about here in a second. So as you guys do know, this episode is sponsored by Raycon. So I've been wearing these things for a couple years now myself. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for a perfect ear, ear fit. These earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge trust me i can tell you guys right now i can go on a long run i can be sweating my my rear off and sweat stripping in there and those son of a guns are just suction cupped in there they have these little tiny rubber things that every single one of them can be changed to fit your ear hole they offer eight hours of playtime and 32 hour battery life raycons are priced just right as well you guys get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands it's no wonder raycons everyday earbuds have over 50 thousand five-star review yes they have fifty thousand five-star reviews so fifty thousand so durability is a big piece for me when it comes to these things right here these sweet succulent ear but i'm telling you guys right now sweat and water resistant is crucial down here in the southern portion of the united states it gets hot they're built to withstand being left outside in the rain and accidental drop into a pool or a puddle yes that's me so they come in a variety of colors options as well. And like other brands, Raycon comes in wide variety of colors. You have black, you have electric blue, you have flare red, you have rose gold. Hey, show off your sense of style. Grab yourself. I mean, 
grab yourself a set of Raycons. Why wouldn't you want to do it? So click the link in the very top of the description or go to buyraycon.com forward slash speak to truth to get 15% off your Raycon purchase right now. That is right. Go click the link in the very top of the description or go to buyraycon.com forward slash speak the truth to save 15% off your Raycon purchase. Oh, and if any of you guys were wondering, yes, I have the blue ones. I love them. Put them in your ear. I'm telling you, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to throw them in right now just for you. I'm not going to shake too much, but I'm telling you, they won't come out. We're not going to hire them out. So go check them out. The link in the top description. Thank you so much for Raycon for sponsoring this episode. You know, last week we just talked about could be another, there, there could be another reason why this actually happened. It could be because of their like current living conditions or not just the way they're treated, but it's kind of not very pleasant. Шатер, все, видео, фотки, я тебе потом скину. Сейчас, подожди, заду. Это все хантыцы. Все наши пацаны. Сами трубы ищем, сами пи***ем, потому что по-другому никак не получится. Вот это вот располага. Чтобы ты понимал, сегодня мы спали с одной буржуйкой. На такую располагу Одну буржуйку, она ни не поможет. Сам слышишь, какой у меня голос. Голос капец какой осивший. Половина попростывала пацанов. Я тебе сейчас фотки еще скину. Какие, на каких матрацах нас заставляли жить. Пока сами тоже, так сказать, не украли. Потому что по-другому здесь прожить нельзя. Отойдешь просто от палатки, у тебя даже буржуйки украдут, а не то, что вещи. У меня вот, допустим, ни кроссовок теперь нету, ни денег нету. И как мне сказал этот ваш э, заместитель Комаровы, я тебе что, мамочка, папочка, ищи сам. So seeing videos like this, well, you guys have seen them a few different times, like me being American, I was actually, I've been to a couple of different war zones and whatnot, and I've seen it, I've done, I've done a ton of different training. I can assure you, by seeing this and what you guys are currently seeing, Russians are struggling in regards to supplying their newly formed forces. I'm not entirely sure. I believe that they have a military that is even capable of being one million strong, like they claim, because they can't even find these guys' cots to sleep on or even a decent stove to keep them warm. It's honestly a joke, and the bad part about it is these men are actually forced to be there. And who really knows what kind of equipment they're going to actually receive once they actually be forced to move out of this camp and move to the front lines. Так, хорошо, переходим тогда а, к самой актуальной повестке. А, а самая актуальная повестка на вчерашний и позавчерашний день – это была мобилизация. Вот. Хотя, казалось бы, она идет уже три недели, и все бы нормально. И вдруг а, в социальной сети вываливается какое-то дикое количество видеосюжетов, как а, повестки выдают прямо возле станции метро в городе Москве. И мне в личку, и не только мне, начинают писать люди из разных российских регионов и городов, которые, в общем, ну, несколько дезориентированы. А что происходит? То есть многие а, губернаторы уже успели отчитаться, что они мобилизационные планы выполнили. И мы тут расслабились. Ну а что, все же идет нормально, то есть вот шок первых дней прошел. Как вы можете объяснить э, вот то, что происходило? Ну, давайте, я про Москву вас прошу. Это что, вот некие там эксцессы исполнителя или это нормально, или это норма? По сути, проблем нет. Есть какие проблемы? К примеру, там, ну, это единицы призвали 
вновь формируют участие люди, которые там быть не должны. Они не потому, что не должны быть согласно тех установок, которые были определены в указе президента и в разъяснениях Министерства обороны. Это хронические алкоголики, к примеру. Ну, их не написано, что он пьет постоянно. А сейчас, когда он, я извиняюсь, не просыхает, и любыми способами пытается эту бутылку найти, даже mm -hmm. его товарищ говорит, говорит, мы с ним в бой не пойдем, убирайте его, потому что нам такой... Товарищ по оружию не нужен, он ничего не сделает и только нас подведет. Это невозможно выявить заранее, к сожалению. Тем более мы прекрасно понимаем, что мобилизация это не призов, никаких там медкомиссий, мы ничего не проходили. Второе. Многие жалуются на состояние здоровья, говорят, что это то не так, это не так. Поэтому, как обычно, на призывной комиссии создали э, военно-врачебную комиссию, которая будет в частях работы где-то определить. Но большинство, это вообще тоже единицы. Но большинство нормально работает. То, что касается Москвы, где там кого-то скрывает по метро. Ну, вы знаете, я не знаю, может быть, и где-то и правильно, что этих там, которые прячутся и шкерятся от приза, вылают возле метро. Но я бы первый пошпонал какие-нибудь дачные клубы, где вся эта братья сидит и нормально отдыхает, честно говоря. Причем я не думаю, что это получило бы сильный резонанс, такой, как у метро. А народ бы еще в ладоши похлопал по-простому. Поэтому трудно говорить, что произошло в Москве, причем из э, открытых источников невозможно понять, кто чем занимался, все от этого открещиваются, как черт отпадает. Ну а что, они не понимают? At least this gentleman is acknowledging the fact that they're having issues, which shouldn't shock anybody when you grab 300,000 people, you're going to have a bunch of turds slip through the cracks. So not only this is something that um, I was expecting, saying I shouldn't be too shocked. Well, you shouldn't be too shocked. Последний вопрос. У нас немного времени, но хочу, чтобы вы прокомментировали тревожные новости, которые там сегодня с утра поступают с юга, из Херсонской области. Пишут о начале, ну или как бы там пока что вот о, там, о боевой разведке. Но говорят, что о приближающемся большом наступлении ВСУ под Херсоном. Что скажете, что думаете, насколько велика опасность, готовы ли мы? Ну, давайте так, я думаю, что готовы, исходя из тех данных, которых я имею. И вообще, то, что они лезут в наступление, для нас это хорошо. Вы не забудьте, что за все это время мобилизации мы пополнили ряды боевых частей, мужиками имеющими боевый опыт на восполнение текущего времени на комплект. Я думаю, они вполне эту оборону удержат и постараются... I would like to also get an explanation on what he means when he says, like, it's a good thing that the Ukrainian military is advancing. Because this is one is a tough one for me to really comprehend why that is a good thing. Oh, and a little, in fact, if you guys don't know this, speaking about the defensive ministry um, in the southern region of the country, the Russians right now are losing soldiers, their soldiers, at a staggering rate of six and a half Russians to one Ukrainian in the Kyrgyzstan region. So keep that one in mind as well. The Kyrgyzstan region is kind of hot right now. The Ukrainian military has now taken control of the northern part of this P-07 route as well, which is something we've been... Somewhat looking forward to happening. We're going to go switch over to some mapping here. So we got Kupiansk right here. We know that there was an actual chunk of Russians that were somewhat stranded right here. And I told you guys they were not in a very good spot. They have either retreated and or been eliminated. I don't entirely know. I don't think it's, it's going to be something I can tell you if I did know. But they're not there anymore. And now it's Ukrainian controlled. Eight more Russian air defense systems have been destroyed in the northern region, giving the Ukrainians a bit more freedom movement with their birds inside this area. So all along this P-0, well, it's P-07 that turns into P-06, uh, that's just outside of Sivitov, this whole route, okay, 
The Russian combat engineers have been constructing trench systems on the western side of this main route that leads into Sivitov and Kremlin, which is pretty interesting thing because this is, will tell you guys, or kind of tells us as a whole, that they're now assuming more of a defensive posture in this area uh, because they may know that they do not have the means to mount any type of counteroffensive against the Ukrainians who are currently coming. Okay, The current pocket, or the pocket of Russians, that is directly west of Sivitov, so this pocket you guys see right here, that's a pocket of them. So right now, it's going to collapse in the coming day. I think it's going to, in the next 24 hours. I don't think it's going to be there anymore. There's no way that, that this pocket of Russians can maintain this position they're currently in because they have Ukrainians pushing in from the north and they have Ukrainians pushing in from the south, which this is not going to be feasible to hold this ground. Along this main route, though, this main route, you were talking about trenching system, which I think we've, we've mentioned a few separate times, but you're looking at this entire route. They're starting to get see. I don't know exactly where it is. Along this main route, though, you're starting to see the Russians entrench. So that is, that is a pretty good thing to take note of. Now, I will say it does seem that the Ukrainians are putting all their effort right now into Sivitov. I don't think that uh, I don't think it takes a genius to actually realize that because you can see where they're currently pushing from. They're not going into Kremlin. I think they did leave a, enough resources down in Kremlin on the outer edge just in case there's a possibility the Russians may attempt to actually mount a counteroffensive in the area. I don't think that's going to be the case, though, as of right now. From what I can see and, and I guess gather, uh, the Ukrainians will be able to make it and take Sivitov. I don't doubt that for one, like at all. I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't doubt that they're not going to be able to do it. Now, my question is, I can see them taking it back uh, a bit more ground from the Russians and then maintaining that line for a few days while larger artillery gets moved into them, then they're going to pound it relentlessly. I do think it's going to happen. I think we're going to end up with, if they continue to shift south, that is the Ukrainians down this main path, they're going to get hung up somewhere. I don't know entirely where that's going to be, but they will get hung up somewhere. There's going to be a line where the Russians have set up uh, where they might have a better chance of holding the ground. That's going to be the case. I don't know where it's going to be on this side. It will, but it's going to happen. It's going to be something like this. Okay. Now, when that happens, we're going to see a, a slight pause for a few days. I think the Ukrainians are going to shift more of their heavy artillery pieces in. They're going to pound the Russians relentlessly, and then they're going to push through. So I think that's what I think that's what's going to happen. Now, the question I have is, where do they go if they were to take Civito? Okay. Uh, if they were to directly take this thing and looking forward, uh, where do they go? Do they continue east and attempt to take Starblisk or cut off Severe Tedesk or that wood could cut off Severe Tedesk for being resupplied from the north entirely or would they spread them just a bit too thin or would they continue south? So Starblisk is way over here. Are they going to continue all the way down this path, be stretched a bit too thin, but then they're going to cut off this entire route, forcing the Russians to get their supplies in like this? And then they're going to be able to shift all the way down. I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I, I guess I might be putting the cart before in front of the horse here. But I don't know. Probably wait a bit. See if they take Civito first. But so I thought I'd, thought I'd uh, look at it. I, from here, I don't really have a uh, an idea exactly what they'd be doing. But I thought I'd throw it out there. So we're going to shift out of this northern region. Uh, we're going to move a little bit east. I'm going to take you guys right now all along this southern side of, of Bakhmat. There really isn't anything that's happened other than heavy fighting still taking place in the outskirts of Bakhmut itself. And there's no been no change. There's still house-to-house -house fighting inside of Bakhmust and Solidar. And that's pretty much it. So shifting all the way over to Kyrgyzstan. So all the way over here in Kyrgyzstan. Over the last 24 hours, the Ukrainians have conducted roughly 35 air support missions down in Kyrgyzstan alone. And during those 35 missions, they destroyed eight Russian SAM sites. Yes, eight Russian SAM sites all along the Kyrgyzstan region. Now when I say Kyrgyzstan, I'm talking about this whole region right here. Okay. That pocket. The Russians have also 
use these same kamikaze drones that they used up in Kiev. They used them here in Mykolaiv. So, right here in Mykolaiv. They attempted to, at least. 11 of the 15 drones had been destroyed before they could actually reach any target inside of the city. And they were able to actually capture one of the drones, which was still intact, which is going to allow the Ukrainian air defense and electronic warfare assets to improve their detection and countermeasures against these said drones. Now, the Russians also attempted to take back some ground they have lost in the northern portion, which was roughly along the same line two different times. But both attacks were repelled and they were forced to retreat. That's pretty much that. That's what we got going on. I think the next 24 to 48 hours is going to be fairly interesting when it comes to Sivitov and down over here in Kirsten, especially with the introduction of these, these kamikaze drones being thrown in. So anyway, do love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me. I will catch you guys in an episode most likely tomorrow.